Welcome into First Draft. We have a loaded show for you here on this wonderful Monday. It is Martin Luther King Day, a day that is important to celebrate. I am Field Yates, powering through a hoarse voice, but the man that you will see in just a moment, Mr. Mel Kuyper Jr., is ready like no one else can be ready for a huge show today. Mel, not only is it a big show because we're getting closer and closer to the draft, but for the first time ever, First Draft is now on television. They put us on the big screen. What do you think? Made it field. It took a while, but we're there. And a lot to get to, really, when you talk about the first round. I call it the nifty nine, notable nine. Let's go nifty nine with those great offensive players. Nine big-time offensive players in a draft that will be great for fantasy leaguers field, great for the National Football League, where you want that scoreboard lit up on a regular basis. So this is a draft to propel the NFL to a lot of high-scoring games, because like I say, we have a ton of great offensive players, particularly at the, at the top of the draft big board, with, like I say, those nine guys we're going to be talking about a lot in this top ten, figuring very high, and a lot of debates <coughs> going on within war rooms about should we take one of those guys, should we trade down, because there's some real depth at some of those offensive spots as well. And we're we're going to go through the top 10 picks today with a breakdown of what each team should do. Of course, we have the draft order through the first 18 picks. By tonight, we'll have the draft order through the first 24 picks. A couple of housekeeping notes. First draft is now available Mondays and Thursdays. Wherever you get your podcast, you can watch the live stream on YouTube right now as well. And again, the TV version every Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. But Mel, let's dive in to the first 10 picks. Here you see the order. That was 6 through 10. Here's 1 through 5, and that's where we begin. The Chicago Bears, who own the number one pick by virtue of a trade last year with the Carolina Panthers. It's the million-dollar question. We'll debate it every day between now and the start of the draft. If you were Ryan Poles, the Bears general manager, what would you do with the first overall pick? Yeah, this was a difficult decision to really finalize in your mind because I went back and forth at practically every day, every hour, every minute field on this. But when I came to the conclusion after going back and studying Caleb Williams, that's the guy to take. You reset the clock. You draft Caleb Williams number one. You trade Justin Fields, who did them a favor by looking so good. You needed Justin Fields to look good and show that great promise as a dual-threat quarterback once he gets some help with another receiver with Chicago if you want to keep him or you know, help out the defense in terms of getting the ball back. You added Montez Sweat. Add another pass rusher in this draft. So you can either keep Fields and trade that pick or trade Fields and keep that number one pick and take Caleb Williams. I would go Caleb Williams, sensational quarterback two years ago. Great early this year. Then he had some issues from Roy, that Arizona game, the Notre Dame game on. But bottom line is when you study the overall body of work field and the ability of him with his arm talent and the way he sees the field and how instinctive he is as a quarterback, to me, we say, well, it's an unknown with Caleb Williams, people say. It's a known with Justin Fields. No, it's not. It's an unknown whether Justin Fields can be franchised. So, sure, it's an unknown with Caleb. It's also an unknown with Justin. So, I'm going to reset the clock. I'm taking Caleb Williams number one overall. That certainly gives me also the ninth pick. You have no second-round pick, so some maneuvering could take place there. And if you trade Justin Fields to Atlanta, you could get the eighth pick overall. So, you could have one, eight, nine field and be able to recoup a second-round pick by trading down with one of those two picks, either eight or nine. So, a lot of maneuvering ability for the Bears either way field, but if it's me, I'm taking Caleb Williams number one and trading Justin Fields. Yeah, Mel, it's interesting because on our side of the business, we have to make this decision right now, right? Because people are asking us now, and they will continue to ask us every day until Ryan Poles, the Bears GM, either trades Justin Fields 
or trades the first overall pick, or we just get to draft night and the decision is made at that time. What I will say, though, is that you have to factor in what you just highlighted there. The idea of taking Caleb Williams number one overall is supplemented by the potential draft compensation you're going to get from Justin Fields. The other portion of this conversation, Mel, that needs to be addressed, if you are Ryan Poles right now, is that Justin Fields has shown you something for sure. But you got to figure out what's the offer look like if somebody else wants to move up to pick number one like the Panthers did last year. If someone says to you, hey, I'll give you three first-round picks to have that number one overall pick, and by the way, one of those three over uh, three first-round picks is already a top six or seven selection, Mel, then of course Ryan Pohl's ears are going to be open to that sort of proposition. But what I keep coming back to, Mel, is this, is that more so than any number of picks, if you have the right quarterback, that changes the trajectory of your franchise more than anything else in the NFL. You think the Texans are mad right now about the big price that they paid a year ago to have picks two and three, which allowed them to take C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson? Of course not. And if you're the Chicago Bears, well, Justin Fields has shown you something. We are having this debate. Imagine if it were the Chargers, Mel, who had that number one overall pick this year. Would anybody debate whether they should be trading Justin Herbert or would they be saying, hey, I'm either taking Marvin Harrison Jr. number one overall or I'm trading that number one pick for a bounty of picks. My answer is that no one would be saying that the Chargers should consider a quarterback at number one. When there's quarterback uncertainty, Mel, I think that tells you you should be taking a quarterback first overall. Is there anything, anything that could change between now and the draft that you think will materially impact the rankings of Caleb Williams as opposed to C.J. not C.J. Stratton, excuse me, uh, Caleb Williams or Drake May or Jaden Daniels that could allow them to jump to pick one? No, I really don't. I think Caleb Williams basically opened the door for somebody to come surging up. Drake May didn't have that big-time year. Go back to, like I say, the Virginia game, the NC State game. We can scrutinize all this for Drake May. Yes, he's an outstanding quarterback, but he didn't have that scintillating wow year. Okay, now he lost his coordinator, his two top receivers. I get all that, but that didn't happen. Jane Daniels made a quantum leap up from a fourth-rounder to a top-five pick, top-three pick. But, no, Caleb Williams, to me, is not going to be challenged in terms of my overall rankings and who the number one QB1 is on my board, it's Caleb Williams. And we got to the point where we just made a field, and it's a great point. If it's a push, if it's an even situation where Justin Fields, Caleb Williams, we don't really know. It's a push. you got to reset the clock. you got to draft Caleb Williams. you got to move on from Justin Fields. And, and I think you trade him, there's going to be value there. The Atlanta Falcons, I think, would be a perfect landing spot. By the way, Justin Fields is very tradable right now, Mel, because as you know, there are three quarterbacks in this class that we think are deserving of top five selections. Daniels, May, and Williams. There are a lot more teams that need a quarterback, and Justin Fields, at least for next year, is due just $3.2 million. It's a very palatable number for a team to absorb and potentially extend Justin Fields, which, of course, as we know in the NFL, the price is going to skyrocket dramatically. But if you're a believer, that's the kind of risk that you have to take as an NFL team. Last thing here, Mel, very quickly on the Chicago Bears. There's, is there a case in your mind for taking a non-quarterback number one overall? Or if you're pondering a Marvin Harrison Jr., is that telling you just trade down and, and recoup a bunch of extra assets? 
Yes, I think you have the depth at wide receiver. You go to Romo Dunze from Washington and Malik Neighbors from LSU, and you can get guys even into the late first, second round area. They have those two right now, but they have the ability maybe to get back a two, and they certainly pick at nine where a wide receiver could be there. So there's great opportunities for the Bears, I think, but the, the quarterback has to be decision made either, like I say, Caleb or Justin, and right now the decision for me is Caleb Williams, quarterback from USC, number one overall to the Bears. Yeah, Ryan Poles had that number one pick last year, Mel. He certainly made good on that with DJ Moore and Darnell Wright in this number one pick a year later. We'll see how he decides to go with number one pick this season in Chicago. A very intriguing storyline. More coming up on First Draft in just a few moments. We're going to dive in to picks number two, three, and four. Plenty more quarterback talk just ahead. All right, we're back here on First Draft. I'm Field Yates. He, of course, is Mel Kuyper Jr. Picks two, Mel, with Caleb Williams already off the board, the metaphorical board that you and I are working off of right now, leads us to the Washington Commanders, who, of course, now, uh, they have not announced it, but it has been reported, have a new general manager, the great Adam Peters, very well respected within the scouting community, longtime 49ers assistant GM, and a winner everywhere he has gone. He has himself a big decision to make at number two overall. Which direction would you be advising Adam Peters to go? Quarterback, and if you have to decide there between Drake May, North Carolina, and Jaden Daniels, LSU, and that's a tough call to make. We said, well, is the debate going to be at one? I don't like the debates at one. I think the debate's at two, Field. And I think you could go with Jaden Daniels over Drake May. I uh, certainly could stick with Drake May there. Both are outstanding quarterback prospects. Okay, what did Jaden do this year? Jaden took his game to another level at LSU. Going back for another year made him a ton of money. He went by a fourth-round pick to maybe the second or third pick overall. So I think you look at Jaden made it really interesting. Drake fell back a bit. Remember, Ted's Walker was coming in as a transfer. The NCAA didn't allow him to play right away. He lost two receivers led by, of course, Downs, who's been a really good rookie this year with the Indianapolis Colts. You think about where we are right now with Drake May, I don't really have him anywhere different than where I had him going in. I had a high grade on him. I think the offensive coordinator change affected him, and not having his two receivers certainly impacted him. But there are some throws that he needed to make in some games field that he didn't make, wasn't accurate with, and that's why he opened the door to a surging Jaden Daniels. So those two quarterbacks right now vying for that spot, that's a decision Washington has to make between now and late April. Yeah, Mel, I think this comes down to something that is pretty fundamental, and yet people are going to want to make it more complicated than it actually is. You and I have very similar grades for both Drake May and Jaden Daniels. You have May as player three on your board overall, Daniels four. I have it flipped. What that is telling people is not that you and I think that Jaden Daniels is decidedly better than Drake May or Drake May is decidedly better than Jaden Daniels. But they are stylistically so different, right? Drake May, six foot four, 230 pounds. He's an unbelievable athlete for a guy of that size. But he's not going to run 4-3-5, which Jaden Daniels certainly could run. But Drake May, strike thrower, stand tall in the pocket. He can absolutely carve up a defense. He's going to light up the throwing session at the combine. Jaden Daniels, meanwhile, changes the way that you play offense and changes the way that your opponents play defense. I think this decision will come down to a couple of factors, Mel, including who they hire as their head coach, with plenty of steam right now suggesting it's going to be Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, who has done an amazing job with that offense. When I think about Detroit, Mel, and it's different, you know, the fact that Detroit plays in a dome sort of lends itself to run-after-catch players, but I think about the space players they have in Detroit. That offense is all about creating yards after the catch or 
beyond what the blocking, blocking affords for a guy like Jameer Gibbs. Can you imagine Ben Johnson bringing the same principles to D.C. as he has in Detroit with Jaden Daniels all over the yard with Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel if he is brought back? Feels to me like there's a lot of potential there for an offensive system predicated upon run after catch. Yeah, and also, what's the big issue with Washington? The offensive line field. And if you have a dual-threat, mobile, athletic quarterback like Jaden Daniels behind that line, it's very iffy. And they got a lot of work to do fixing that line and getting it right. So if that's the case, maybe you go with a Jaden Daniels over a Drake May, who's really a Justin Herbert comp. That's who you would comp to Drake May would be Justin Herbert. Who do you comp to Jaden Daniels? Hey, Herm Edwards, who recruited and coached Jane Daniels, said Randall Cunningham. Sounds like Lamar Jackson. But either way, you're talking about great quarterbacks all the way around in terms of the comps for both these quarterbacks. Like I said, the O-line the with Washington has to improve significantly. So I don't know if that will factor in their decision uh, at all, if it will factor in much. But the bottom line is these two quarterbacks will be debated all the way up to late April, and it's a tough decision to make. And guess what? New England's sitting there at three saying, okay, you know, this is going to be an Eli Rivers Ben Roethlisberger situation where that third quarterback's pretty good is going to be like, hey, you go back to Josh Allen, third quarterback taking his year, to Justin Herbert, third quarterback taking his year. Sometimes that third quarterback off the board over history in terms of the NFL draft has turned out to be pretty good, Field. A reminder, by the way, for Adam Peters, that new Washington Commanders lead football executive. I believe his official title will be Executive VP of Football Operations, President of Football Operations. I need to brush up on what his specific title is, but the bottom line is he's calling the shots. He's got five picks in the top 100 this year with both Chase Young and Montez Sweat being traded at the deadline this past year. You mentioned the Patriots. They pick three. I would argue, Mel, this is the most important selection the Patriots have had in their franchise history since 1993 when they took Drew Bledsoe number one overall out of Washington State. We're talking 31 years ago. Should the Patriots make it this simple, Mel? Whichever quarterback is remaining out of the three, just take him? Or do you think that the Patriots need to be fixated on a specific quarterback, and if not, address an other very, very important need at wide receiver with a player like Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, they need help at a variety of spots. And the reason Mac Jones wasn't successful after a pretty good start to his career is because he didn't get any help. Okay, you think about the offensive line. They haven't had a big-time wide receiver field since Randy Moss. We go back to Julian Edelman and Wes Welker and Danny Amendola, the slot guys, but not a big-time wideout since Randy Moss. The offensive line really struggled, and all of a sudden, there's your quarterback. Who does no shot? So, yeah, I do think because of the fact there's other positions, you, can't, you only take one player. You can't take three or four. got to take one. So, yes, you'd like to have the O-lineman. Like, yes, you'd like to have Marvin Harrison Jr., but you got to get the quarterback. You're in a division with Josh. Josh Allen and Tua. Aaron Rodgers is going to play a couple more years. The AFC is loaded with outstanding quarterbacks. you got to get the quarterback if you feel like, okay, there's limitations, obviously, with Mac Jones to be successful. He needs everything around him to work perfectly. That's not going to be the case in New England for a while. So you look at whoever is left, be it Jaden Daniels or Drake May, and that would be the pick at three for the New England Patriots. Couldn't agree more, Mel. You just got to take whichever one of those three is left over. And I know that people will say, well, you know, teams have a certain preference for a quarterback. I agree with that, but I also feel, Mel, this strongly. The price to move up from 3-1 to or 3-2 to is so prohibitive for the Patriots or any other team that's trying to do a similar thing that if you don't nail the pick, 
it can set the franchise back so far, which might be the case, by the way, with Carolina just a year into the Bryce Young experience. The coaching staff's been fired. The GM was fired. We'll see what the future looks like. I'm still excited about Bryce as a prospect, but we see just how dangerous it can be. Moreover, Mel, while I think these players are all similarly graded between the, you know, Jaden Daniels and the Drake Mays and the Caleb Williams of the world, what I think is kind of cool about it, Mel, is that because they're so different, the challenge for the staff, the personnel staff in New England and, 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 and also Washington at pick two is that whoever is left over, your job is to fit the pieces around them. Right? That's what the brilliance of the Baltimore Ravens right now is with Lamar Jackson. Lamar is an incredible talent. This year, especially, especially though, they've got the right mix of pieces around him. So if you're in New England and the leftover is Jaden Daniels, build your offense accordingly. If you can't do that, then you're not doing your job. Meanwhile, if it's Drake May, do the same thing. And I want to make sure that we continue to give a lot of love to Drake May because despite the fact that he had relative to this 2022 season a down year, Mel, there's still so much to like about him. In different classes, in different years, Drake May might easily be the number one player in the entire class. So much change around him this past year, Mel, but still, this guy is the real deal as a potential franchise cornerstone. Oh, my gosh. There's no question about it. Drake May, when you see him throw the football effortlessly and some of the throws he makes when he's pressured, you know, off-platform and the way he can move and really stress a defense when you think you have everybody covered, you think we did a great job defending Drake May, he can beat you with his legs. And I'll tell you what, he's a great kid. He was loyal to North Carolina program. High character individual. Obviously, you think about his family, very athletic family. And his kid's been all football in all North Carolina his whole life. So for Drake May, if he is the third quarterback, or it's Jaden Daniels, if you're New England, as I go back to, you go back to Baker, right? Darnold. Then Josh Allen. Yeah. You go to Burrow, Tua, then Justin Herbert. You go to Eli Rivers, and then Ben Roethlisberger. And I give you a lot of lists of, of, of past drafts where that third quarterback was really, really good. Who did you settle for? You settled for maybe the best quarterback of the group. So yeah. sometimes <clears throat> settling is not a bad thing. And in this draft, I don't think you're settling. You're getting a quarterback that basically we're splitting hairs between really two quarterbacks in May and Daniels with Caleb slightly ahead of those two. Hey, the Texans nearly traded up from pick two to pick one last year, Mel. And my bet would be that they would have taken Bryce Young. They probably feel pretty good about the deal they did not make now with C.J. Stroud, obviously, as one of the great young quarterbacks in all football. We've got three quarterbacks off the board in our one through three mock simulations so far, Mel. That leaves the Cardinals. And their head coach, Jonathan Gannon, said multiple times this past season, we are committed to Kyler Murray as the guy. Because of the way that their draft order now sits, Mel, I'm going to buy that. Does that make pick four the easiest one in the draft? Does that mean that they are taking Marvin Harrison Jr. and getting him on the first flight to Arizona to pair with Kyler Murray and his former teammate Paris Johnson Jr.? Or would you go a different direction at pick four? You know, I think Marvin Harrison Jr., you're going to make the argument he's the best player. I have him the second best player in this draft. He's a great receiver. How much separation between Marvin Harrison Jr. and Romo Dunze Washington and Malik Neighbors LSU? That's what you have to decide here as well. And you also look at the offensive line. Humphrey's injured late. Is he going to be back? So that's your left tackle position on that offensive line. Very critical. Joe Alt, Notre Dame. Olu Fashionu from Penn State. Both very attractive options at that point. You pick again at 26 and 35. At 26, you could look to keep an Arizona Wildcat 
in-state. Go with Jordan Morgan, left tackle out of Arizona. Jed Fish, the head coach there, moving on to the Washington Huskies. Jordan Morgan was a heck of a player for Arizona. So they have to fix that spot or improve that spot, get somebody to solidify that position. Kyler Murray needs that number one receiver. Marvin Harrison Jr., the way we have it shaking down now, will be there at four. I think you take him. You get the second best player on my board at four, and you get a dynamic player to help out Kyler Murray and Marvin Harrison Jr., who, by the way, is a nightmare to match up with with his size and his father, Marvin Harrison. I scouted him at Syracuse. I had him at the Hula Bowl uh, back in the 90s. This kid, equally as business-like as his dad. He's all business, all about football, and he's going to be tremendous in that locker room practice field and certainly on game day, bringing that high skill set, that incredible skill talent, and as well as the great passion and the work ethic and the character to your football team. So I'm taking Marvin Harrison Jr. at four. I'm thrilled about it. Like I said, I had picks at 26 and 35 to address the offensive line yeah. and also pass rush. Remember the third fewest sacks in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, Mel, it's interesting. It's sort of like the decision that the Bengals faced a handful of years ago, three years ago now, with Jamar Chase versus Panay Sewell at pick number five. Do you take the left tackle and Sewell, who could have become a right tackle, and of course now some of the best players in the NFL, or do you take the difference maker at wide receiver, who of course was Jamar Chase, who has been one of the best players in the NFL? Sometimes the decision is just Whichever way you go, it's the right one. Sounds like that could be the case with Arizona. A reminder, you keep you referenced that pick 26. That's from the Texans, the trade that was made during the draft last year. So they have four, 26. It could go all the way to 32 if the Texans win that Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl this year, and then 35, which is their own pick. So part of the dynamic is going to be, do you think that Marvin Harrison plus your projected offensive tackle at pick 26 is better than Joe Alts and your projected wide receiver at 26. Worth noting that you and I and everybody who covers this draft has noted wide receiver depth is very, very strong this season. The Cardinals have a, a good problem on their hands, though, Mel, if they are debating between an excellent wide receiver and an excellent left tackle at this draft. There's no other direction you would go here at pick four. We have eliminated everything else. Is that correct? That is correct, Phil, because the nifty nine is all offense. There's no nobody on defense in the nifty nine, okay? So if you want the pass rusher, there's some questions there about where they'll end up. There'll be a lot, too, from UCLA and Turner from Alabama. So, no, I think you have to take the offensive player here. If you're any one of these top teams that we're talking about here, Field, and you go wide receiver with Arizona, uh, and then you look to those other spots. I mean, there's the draft doesn't end after your first-round pick. We always get wrapped up in that. But there's other draft picks that will supersede or override even what you did on round one end up being more critical to the success of your football team down the road. So, But with this spot, you gotta you put these guys on a board for a reason. I have Harrison at two to get two at four. That's kind of what you're looking for. Yeah, the draft certainly does not end after round one, Mel. I know they came up short last night, but the Rams in the wild card round, I mean, Pukunakua, 181 receiving yards, most by a rookie ever in his postseason debut. Third and fourth and fifth round picks crushing it for them left and right. Uh, player development goes way beyond just the first round, sometimes even the second day of the NFL draft. All right, so we have three quarterbacks and a receiver already off the board. I think that the easy part of the NFL draft, at least as we see it right now, is over. So coming up here on first draft, we dive in to picks five and beyond. That includes the first pick for whoever is the new general manager and the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers coming up in just a few. All right, back here on First Draft, Mel Kuyper Jr., I am Field Yates, and Mel, as of this time, 
There is no GM for the Los Angeles Chargers. There's no head coach for the Los Angeles Chargers, although they are meeting with a certain Jim Harbaugh about their vacancy today. They have the fifth pick and surprising results coming into the season. Unlike the first three teams in this draft, there is zero debate about their quarterback. With Justin Herbert entrenched for the long term, which direction should the Chargers go with pick five? Help Justin Herbert field, and I think you look at this spot, a variety of opportunities here to solidify and spots you could go to. First of all, the right tackle position, okay? You say, well, Joe Walt's a left tackle. Olu Fashion is a right tackle or a left tackle. Well, you need a right tackle. Well, what did Lane Johnson play at Oklahoma? Left tackle. We've yeah. seen that flip-flop <laughs> back and forth with tackle. So, to me, can you go all – could you go Fashion? Yes, you could. Could you take a wide receiver? like Malik Neighbors from LSU, like a guy like that I love, Romo Dunze from Washington, love them both. And you love Neighbors, I love them. We all love these receivers, right? You say, well, you took Quentin Johnston last year in the first round. Why would you go wide receiver again? Well, Quentin Johnston didn't set the world on fire. Quentin Johnston was plagued by some drops at TCU, had some at, at, with the Chargers. They have injury issues at, at a lot of positions. They've had bad luck on the injury front. They've had trouble keeping all their guys on the field at the same time. So you could go that route. How about tight end? Everett's a free agent. You know, I go back to Kellen Winslow back in the day with Dan Fouts. He was the difference maker with the Chargers. You have Brock Bowers from Georgia sitting there as well. So do you take Bowers? Do you take Odunze or Neighbors? Do you take Alt or Fashionu? Right now, field, the decision gets a lot tougher. First four, we can pretty much figure it out easily. At five, good luck right now. Yeah, Mel, I'd say this about the GM and why this is really important for the Chargers is that the GM, whoever it is, needs to make a decision in conjunction with the head coach. There are ways in which it's obvious the Chargers are headed for a organizational reboot on the salary cap. And then at the same time, you have Justin Herbert, who by himself should make you a pretty good football team. Let me read you the salary cap charges for Mike Williams and Keenan Allen with the Chargers currently projected to be $45 million over the cap. For Keenan Allen, $34.7 million. For Mike Williams, $32.5 million, both in the final year of their contract, Mel. The draft is often not about what you need just for that year, but beyond that season, which is why the wide receiver to me feels like such a screaming proposition for the Chargers at pick number five because a Malik Neighbors could be your wide receiver one right away, even if it feels like Keenan Allen, at this present moment, is a superior player. I mean, Keenan Allen's shown just how great he is and has been for a long time. I'll continue to say it about Malik Neighbors, Mel, and maybe I have an LSU thing this year. Most explosive player in the entire draft is Malik Neighbors. I mean, the way that he gets down the field, as you see right here, is unbelievable. He's terrific after the catch, incredible route runner, guy caught everything coming his way. To me, the most explosive wideout in the class, including Marvin Harrison Jr., and to me, a worthy candidate for pick number five. Uh, we're still no defense, though, Mel. The defensive disrespect is real right here. So let's go to pick number six, and let's see if we can offer some more disrespect. And I think things might be a little bit trickier here for the New York Giants and the five teams ahead of us. The Giants, of course, have Daniel Jones under contract for three more seasons, but some were wondering during the middle of the year if the Giants had a top three pick, would they be in the quarterback market? They're in the, they're at the sixth pick now, Mel. Should they consider a quarterback? And obviously the three being off the board, you're talking about the likes of Michael Penix Jr., J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, etc. Should the Giants consider a quarterback right now? 
No, I have always liked Daniel Jones field. I think you look at where we are right now with that offensive line. Evan Neal could kick inside to guard. You could add a fashion new or a guy like all. Okay, you got Andrew Thomas at left tackle. So now you improve the offensive line for Daniel Jones. They need a big time wide receiver. Malik Neighbors, Romo Dunze would make an awful lot of sense here. And you know, one of them will probably be here. So the wide receiver position is huge. Now you need a pass rusher opposite Thibodeau, right? Who had a heck of a year but there's nobody to take at this point. So you go to Romo Dune say, why is he special? Because of the consistency week in and week out with Michael Penix Jr. getting him the football. He gotten him the ball more that national championship game. Maybe they would have won that game. But Romo Dune's a 6'3", added weight to that frame this year. Tremendous catch radius, great hands, great natural pass catcher. And you talk about silky smooth. He kind of lulls that cornerback into a false sense of security. Guys, after the catch, take bad angles. He is so consistent, so reliable, and I want to see how they test. When is the combine? When are these measurables important field? When you are trying to figure out at a position, who do you like better? Then it gets down to who's more athletic, who's faster, who's quicker, more explosive. All those things factor in then if you're in a push situation at a spot. I feel that way with Romo Dunze and Malik Neighbors. Can't wait to see what their measurables end up being. They're both freakish talents. I love Malik Neighbors' attitude and approach. He looks about the Louisiana guys, how tough we are. Hey, you can't go wrong with either one of these. And in the past drafts, we've always seen two, three receivers debating you know, who's the best and who's not, who should be two, who should be three. Guess what? They usually turn out to be all pretty good. So in Malik Neighbors' case from LSU and Romo Dunze, they are not going to have to wait long to hear their names picked in terms of the top ten overall come draft day. <laughs> Worth noting, by the way, for the Giants, Mel, that as of right now, Sterling Shepard going to be a free agent. Great career with the Giants, but probably coming to an end. Darius Slayton has one year left on his contract. Wandale Robinson, their second-round pick a couple of years ago, you know, not exactly. He has not established himself as that clear-cut number one wide receiver or anything close to it. They need a dominant wideout because their best option right now coming into this past season was thought to be Darren Waller, and then he missed a bunch of time due to injury. They need me playmakers around Daniel Jones. But they also might need another tackle, Mel. They have made big investments in that left tackle and right tackle spot with both Andrew Thomas and, more recently, Evan Neal. Andrew Thomas became a second-team All-Pro player last year, signed a big deal. He is an anchor for that left side of the line. Evan Neal has not lived up to expectations. Is taking an offensive tackle, Joe Alt or Olu Fashanu, not doable? Is that doable, I should say, for the Giants right now, given the investment they've recently made in Evan Neal? It certainly is worth thinking about. Uh, those two are going to be drafted right in this general area field. Fashionu and certainly all outstanding football players that could play that right tackle spot, which would allow you to kick Evan Neal to guard where he started at Alabama one year. So I think you look at these two with Joe Alt, his father, John. We talked about the versatility, tight end, offensive line, what he meant at Notre Dame, watched him every week. The consistency that he maintained on a week-to-week basis was outstanding. Fashionu was that, as I said, that Ronnie Stanley type with tremendous natural athletic ability. But I'm with you. This gets back to Penne Sewell. You know, you think about Jamar Chase. What do you do there? Sewell, Chase to help out Joe Burrow. The offensive line was a big problem. Burrow had the injury. Do you take the O-lineman? Do you take the receiver? They went with Chase. It turned out great. Sewell turned out great with the Lions, okay? Because you pass on one, doesn't mean the other was not going to be big time. The other one has been big time. In this case, the decision to make here is, do we keep addressing the line, or do we take that top go-to number one receiver that 
neighbors or Odunze will be and should be. So I think you look at the wide receiver spot here for Daniel Jones or the tackle spot. I would probably go wide receiver here field because I love neighbors and I love Odunze and Daniel Jones has a chance this year to kind of revert back to the form he showed two seasons ago. We were talking about him last year if they beat the Vikings in a playoff. Like, he's the guy. So, again, lack of talent around him is a reason why we're talking about Daniel Jones now is maybe an issue. It's not Daniel Jones. It's the guys around them that didn't live up to their end of the bargain. Well, I would lean towards offensive tackle for this reason. Mistakes get GMs and coaches fired, but holding on to mistakes for too long also gets you fired. A guy like Evan Neal may not be long for a starting right tackle job in the NFL. Maybe you try him at guard. Maybe you see whether that experiment works. If not, I'd rather have two awesome offensive tackles, and we know Andrew Thomas is excellent already at the NFL level. I believe Alter Fashionu will be excellent at the NFL level as well. I'd rather build those bookends and feel good about being able to find a wide receiver at the top of the second round because the depth is so good. Uh, next team, of course, the Tennessee Titans. They do not have a head coach right now, but their GM, Rand Carthon, has a big decision on his hands. Where would you go to help Will Levis, who, of course, they took at the top of the second round last year? Will showed a lot of promise. He looked really good. I watched him every week, and he got pounded. And you knew the injury was going to happen. It just was a matter of time. Because that offensive line was Ole blocking. They were behind the sticks with the pre-snap penalties. Uh, they didn't give the guy a shot. Drop passes. Again, even against Houston, the, the second time, DeAndre Hopkins had a key drop in that game. Think about Burks, a key drop uh, late in the year. The second one against Houston uh, early in that game when it was a beautiful throw by Will Levis. So Levis's toughness, his arm strength, everything he did. You saw the Miami game, the Atlanta game, everything in between was outstanding. He had a couple games where he wasn't. The Tampa Bay game, that first Jacksonville game, but overall showed a lot of, of talent to be that maybe franchise quarterback. But the O-line's the big problem field. Certainly a, a speed receiver is needed, but the offensive line has to be addressed. And that's where you hope, if you're the Titans, either Joe Alt or Olu Fashionu are still there on the board. That, to me, <clears> is the biggest problem they have. If you got a franchise young quarterback, you can't keep getting beat up. Remember, Will had issues at Kentucky that final year yeah. with a bad offensive line. Comes to Tennessee with a horrible offensive line. Can you give this kid a break and you help him out and keep him healthy for the entire season? The O-line, to me, is the biggest problem for the Tennessee Titans. Mel, this is the easiest pick we've made so far. Maybe the easiest pick in the entire first round. Let's assume the first six picks are some combination of three quarterbacks and either two offensive linemen and one wide receiver and two wide receivers. I'm sorry. Math is terrible. Three quarterbacks, two offensive linemen and a receiver, or three quarterbacks, two receivers, and an offensive lineman. If Joe Alt or Olu Fashinu was waiting there, you put the pick in right away. You don't think twice about it. If both of those players are off the board, grab your highest-graded receiver, whether that is Roma Dunze or Malik Neighbors, and put them on the board. Last year, they hit a home run with Peter Skaronsky in the draft, the Northwestern left tackle who became a guard for them. If they could have a solidified left side of the line with Joe Alt and Peter Skaronsky, you can find those wide receivers. It picks 34, I'm sorry, 38, 39, 40. Those guys are going to be available. I think it's the easiest pick in the first round because if those two offensive tackles are gone, there's not a left tackle that you can justify at pick seven. But there's two wide receivers, you certainly could. So uh, very rarely do I say things are easy in the NFL draft. But this feels like one of those mail where you sprint the card in, you feel really good about the selection. The Titans could find themselves an offensive building block. And that is where the easy portion of the draft ends, Mel. Because coming up, the trickiest selection that we have had to debate so far. 
the Atlanta Falcons at number eight. Which direction do they go? More to come here on First Draft in just a moment. We are back here on First Draft. Mel Kuyper and Phil Yates. Mel, my voice is not going to allow me to ask a lengthy question. What direction would you go if you're the Falcons of pick eight? Well, you're plowing through. I was last week and this week as well doing a great job. You think about Atlanta. I'm, I'm thinking about Justin Fields here. If, if, that, if he's going to be traded, I'm going to be the first one into the mix here, the Atlanta Falcons. He's high school. Think about going to Georgia before he went to Ohio State. And he showed this year he can be an outstanding quarterback. That's a tough decision for Chicago to make because Fields played so well. Something about that eighth pick. Michael Penix Jr., Justin Fields. Come on. I mean, yeah, let's face it. Justin Fields would be the guy at, at eight. So you have to think about that. If you, st- if you don't don't make that move, okay? You take Michael Penix Jr. here. Hey, if he would have played against Michigan like he did against Texas, you're taking him. But it didn't happen, okay? So now you're thinking, okay, is there a pass rusher? No, there is not at that particular point to take. Is there somebody in the second? Is there a receiver opposite Drake London? Yeah, you've gone the offensive skill route time in and time out, Phil. It seems like, are we ever going to end that? I mean, I love B. John Robinson, love Drake London, love Pitts, love all. But now we got to get the quarterback. The quarterback is critical, and certainly to me, Justin Fields is who I'm talking to the Bears about that opportunity there because I'm a heck of a lot better off, I think, going that route than drafting that fourth quarterback. So Justin Fields is on my mind here with the Atlanta Falcons field. How do you feel about that, pal? Yeah, it would be on my mind as well, Mel. It's a, a big price to pay, that number eight overall pick, for a quarterback that you also probably have to pay pretty much right away as well. But this is all contingent upon who the new head coach is, Mel. Uh, There's been some reporting that Bill Belichick could be in the mix for that Atlanta Falcons job. I can't imagine he wants to go somewhere where he has another quarterback quandary, right? He probably wants some certainty at that position. Uh, It also depends on who's making the decision on the pick, right? Because if Belichick goes to Atlanta, GM Terry Fontenot may not make this decision unilaterally like I believe he had the authority to do prior to or prior to a potential Bill Belichick hire. It's a tough, it's a tough one here, Mel, though, because if I'm Atlanta, I can't justify the eighth overall pick for Justin Fields. It's too much. He's a really, really talented player. He has not shown enough for me to believe that he is worth the eighth overall pick. If it's the eighth overall pick going to uh, Chicago for Justin Fields, I'm going to need something coming back to me as well, whether it's a second-round pick next year or a third-round pick this year with Chicago not having a second-round pick this season because they traded it to D.C. It's a big price to pay. But if you're Atlanta, no team is more desperate for a quarterback this offseason. All the pieces are in place on offense for this team to take a major, major leap forward. They held themselves back with their quarterback play over the past two years, Mel. They need, need to find a quarterback. I'm just not willing to pay that steep of a price for Justin Fields. And, I mean, there's, there's no way you can justify a Bo Nix, a Michael Penix Jr., a J.J. McCarthy. Like, yeah, that's too steep at picking, right? It has to be too steep. Yeah, and I think you just made a decision for the Bears. When you're saying, okay, the eighth pick overall for Justin Fields, I wouldn't do it. I'd say, I understand you got to commit a lot of money to Justin Fields, but he's shown great promise without having a receiver opposite more, without having an offensive line. Obviously, you think about Justin Fields, is he perfect? No. Holds the ball a little too long, locks on to the primary guy. He'll miss some of those gimmies at times. But the bottom line is dual threat capability, the toughness, the competitiveness. That locker room believes in Justin Fields in Chicago. So I think Atlanta would, would as well. So I think when you look the eighth pick overall. If I'm the Falcons, I don't think it's too steep a price. I really don't feel it. I get what you're saying, but if that's the case, then Chicago's got to – Caleb Williams is their pick. 
if you can, if you're not give up the eighth pick to get Justin Fields here at Atlanta, why in the world would Chicago uh, you know keep Justin Fields and pass on Kayla Williams? So I think to me, if I'm Atlanta, I would be happy to try to do. What, what, what's your other option? I mean, what are you doing at quarterback if it's not Justin Fields? There's no other quarterback in this draft that you're going to be really excited about at eight. Trading down maybe and looking at Michael Penix Jr. possibly there with a trade down, but certainly not at eight. I'm going to mark, uh, I'm going to mark this one down, Mel, and revisit this one when my voice allows me because I've got a lot of thoughts. I just have a hard time articulating them at the moment. Let's go to pick nine. I'm going to let you do the heavy lifting for the final two here, Mel. Uh, the Chicago Bears have pick number nine. Uh, they have not yet made that trade of Justin Fields. They could have picked number eight as well. Let's imagine they don't. What does Ryan Poles do now after drafting Caleb Williams earlier? Well, you talk about a wide receiver. If you're drafting Caleb Williams at one and you're picking at nine, you got a receiver. Obviously, DJ Moore, a heck of a player, but you get the receiver there, and that's where you say is Odunze or Neighbors. One of those two going to still be there. Probably not, but it's at least a possibility, right? Then you say, is Keon Coleman from Florida State good enough to take at that particular point in the draft? If he's not, then I would think at that point, and you're talking about the ninth pick overall, where do you go? Do you what, what position do you look at? You think about the offensive line, you think about the receiver position in terms of moving down as well. You don't have a second round pick field. You move Montez, you got Montez Sweat, you move the second round pick. That's a great deal. This team still had with the second fewest sacks in the NFL. Montez Sweat led two teams in sacks. Led, led Washington and Chicago. First time that's ever happened. So it was a great trade, but if you could move down and recoup that two, okay, then that would be an option as well. You talk about receiver depth. Adonai Mitchell, certainly from Texas. Xavier Worthy from Texas. Really good player. So I think getting a wide receiver at some point, whether it's at nine or whether it's by moving down, would be in the cards for the Bears. All right, the nifty nine has uh, been tapped into quite a bit here, Mel. Um, I just think the Chicago team has a lot of options. That's my big takeaway on them at number nine. It's the first time where I feel like optionality is really on the board because of the fact that they have that number one overall pick, which would at that point secure what will become their biggest need if Justin Fields is no longer on the roster. I'm going to let you handle the heavy lifting here on the New York Jets mail because rarely is a team picking in the top ten one that wants to win a Super Bowl next year as well. That's the case with the Jets, with Aaron Rodgers back under center and an elite defense. What should they do? It's the offensive line field, and that's the big issue. When you think about Vera Tucker keeping him healthy, Tipman at center, right? And you got the big problem at tackle, and that's the big issue here. And again, do you say, okay, Alt or Fashionu is one of those two there? You say move up, but you don't have a second round pick here. So I think the offensive line, a wide receiver opposite Garrett Wilson. Is the receiver going to be there? You have to see how the first nine picks flow. We said the nifty nine is going to go high. Brock Bowers, an outstanding player at Georgia. Our teams looking at Brock Bowers, thinking about coming off the injury, came back from the ankle, the tightrope surgery. But you know, fashion new to me, an athletic kid, left tackle, is going to keep getting better and better. Remember, Joe Walt's only 20 years of age right now, fashion new 21. Both have outstanding uh, upside potential. Both could be great bookends. I think both have the ability, I think, to kick over the right tackle if you want that to happen, if you're the team that needs that to be in the cards. I think you look at Brock Bowers, when he was healthy at Georgia, he was unstoppable field, and he's a guy you can move around, he'll block, he can run after the catch. Brock Bowers, uh, to me, when you look at the tight end, if he gets pushed down just a bit, even to this point, for an Aaron Rodgers, are you kidding me? This is a guy that catches everything thrown his way. You see the ability, the set the speed and the ability after the catch to go 15, 20, 30 yards after the catch. He will block. 
the consistency and the, that he maintained throughout his career at Georgia, even though everybody knew he was a marked man going in. That's the guy we have to contain, and they couldn't do it. Field, big play after big play. Clutch situation. When they needed to make a play on a critical drive late in games, Brock Bowers came up big time after time for Kirby Smart. Brock <clears throat> Bowers, if he's around at this point somewhere in that nine spot, ten spot. Yeah, if you're the Jets, you got to think about Brock Bowers, tight end from Georgia. Yeah, Mel, it feels like the Jets are begging somebody to take a defensive player before them in the first nine picks because that nifty nine all would look great. I mean, the three quarterbacks, obviously not, but those offensive tackles, the three wide receivers, Brock Bowers all would fit masterfully with the New York Jets. Uh, is there a team of the first ten that we have discussed so far, Mel, that you think should be angling hardest to trade back and out of that first 10 picks. You know, if I'm the, the Bears, I want to recoup that too. I really do. If I'm not going to go and, and make a move, say you say, depending upon what happens to Justin Fields, let's say it's one and nine, okay? We take Caleb Williams. You say, hey, oh, we can go up the eighth pick for Justin Fields. Okay, but hey, if they do get the eighth pick and they have the ninth pick, then moving down and recouping that too is important, I think, to the Chicago Bears. And a draft that is this deep at wide receiver. There's some offensive tackles. Guy we haven't talked about, Tyler Guyton, the right tackle at Oklahoma. Great athlete. He's the kind of guy, if you say we pass on the right tackle early. Can we get a right tackle in the late first round? Tyler Guyton is going to be an interesting guy to keep an eye on coming out of Oklahoma. Amarius Mims out of Georgia is another <coughs> one. So I think there's some different options of guys you can pick up at those spots, maybe late first, early second round. But for the Bears, recoup that second. You gave up for Montez Sweat, which was a great move. Wasn't a great move for Claypool last year, but it was a great move getting Montez Sweat, the great pass rusher from Washington. But recouping that too, if you move down for the Bears, I think would be a smart move. All right, Mel, there's a look at our top 10 picks in the 2020 24 NFL draft and our decisions. One thing is clear. If you're taking a top 10 pick and using it on my voice, it's a bad decision today, Mel. We'll be back here on First Draft in just a few moments to say our goodbyes. All right, back here on First Draft, Mel Kuyper and what's left of me, Field Yates, certainly not my voice. And uh, Mel, 10 selections down. What's the most interesting decision that you think a team has made so far in our first 10 selections? I think debating the quarterback's field is going to be really fascinating. Is it Daniels? Is it May? What do the Bears do with Fields and that decision that made it very, very complicated? The way Justin played down the stretch didn't make it a slam dunk. Okay, I'm going Caleb, but hey, others say you got to go forward with Justin Fields. That decision the Bears make, which I think obviously at two and three, when you talk about those teams having to take quarterbacks, who do they decide? Is it going to be with Washington May? Is it going to be Daniels? What is in New England? Happy to settle for one of those three. Is there any movement in those top four, top five picks? The quarterbacks are going to be front and center, and that includes Justin Fields, who's currently with the Chicago Bears. Will he remain there? Will he move? Uh, it's going to be fun to see how that all plays out. It sure will be, Mel. We we are back here on Thursday on YouTube only. Thanks to everybody who is watching the show, either on TV or on YouTube. You can always get First Draft wherever you get your podcast. Here is my pledge for future shows. My voice will be better. I am about to go drink 94 gallons of tea, take a million throat lozenges, and do whatever it takes. Mel Kuyper Jr., you carried the show today, as you probably will I got every right other episode. You are the best, my friend. We'll talk to you all again here on the next edition of First Draft.